Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My name is Dave Hanratty, and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 363 of the No Encore Music Podcast. I'm joined this week by 23 minutes late to the studio, on a time that she insisted, Zara Hederman. Hello. I actually thought you were going to say that I was in my 20s, and I was like, oh, thanks very much. But those days are long behind me, unfortunately. I would never uh, bring up a lady's age on this podcast. Thank you, David. But uh, 23 minutes late, though. What's that about? Um, what can I say? I was doing extra work for the podcast. Okay. Um, I was diligently researching, doing my notes, make sure I had all my facts clear. I was printing out the news. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, I don't really know what the issue is here when I'm late because I was putting in due diligence. But you've been doing your notes since you've sat down with your highlighter. And I still am. Yeah. <laughs> she's, got a, she's got a highlighter pen, everybody. Yeah. It's all very yeah. professional. It is. Yeah. In a very unprofessional I, do, way. I go above and beyond for no encore for you, for Adam, for the listener. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Just saying, you insisted on a certain time, and I got here for that time. Yeah. And uh, I don't know about you, Adam, but I, I think it's questionable behaviour. I will not be dragged into this argument, yeah. but uh, I, I'm just a big fan of having the two of you together on a podcast for this exact reason. Yeah. 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 I okay. thought he was going to go, I'm just a big fan of Zara, so I'll let it slide. <laughs> uh, yeah, poor punctuality would be in my in my pet hates, um, although I'm not the most punctual person ever myself, so, you know, but if it's a professional engagement, I, you know... You go the extra mile, quite literally sometimes. But uh, we will be talking about pet hates on this very podcast this week, though, Zara. Very nice. That's very good link up. See, I had method to my madness of being 23 minutes late because I was like, I know that Dave will probably, or sorry, David will Either's fine. hate this now that I'm a few minutes late. Um, you. 
few. Uh, a handful. Full episode of a handful. <laughs> <laughs> Not if you watch on like 4D, they wax some ads in. So it brings it up to about 27 or so. So I, I got in. So I got in there. You got the ad break. I got the ad yeah. break. Um, she is the ad break. I, <laughs> I don't know if that's a I compliment. Know, I don't know what that means, yeah. <laughs> um, Full of information. So yeah, basically I just did it to tie it into the uh, overall topic at hand. Okay, she wanted to irk me. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, mission accomplished. Wouldn't so. be unlike me. <laughs> sure wouldn't. Uh, we're back on the show, everybody. It is No Encore. Zara's in the mix this week. And we're back in the studio after our remote recording with Cullum last week. But you wouldn't have even known that, would you? No. Cullum sounded so clear. Yeah. Crystal clear. Yeah. And it was a gorgeous edit job by the one and only Sonic Architect, Adam. Thank you so, so much. It was great to... It was a weird thing revisiting on Zoom. I was going to say it's a great thing to revisit on Zoom, but it was... I think it worked out quite well. I thought it was worth it to hear Cullum's dulcet tones back absolutely, on the show. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Couldn't have put it better myself. Fun episode. Very fun episode. Did you get through the whole top five? I think I have 11 minutes left. Oh, so you don't know what I picked for my number one. Because I want to see if you would ding me on that. No, I didn't. Do you want to tell me now so no, you can get no, a live no, no, reaction? No, 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 no. You, you, you got to hear it. You got to hear it. Okay. We'll get to it again. Next time you're back on the Next show. Next time you're back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll discuss yeah. Months from now. Zara <laughs> <laughs> returns to the podcast. Uh, if you love this podcast, though, do us a favor. Leave like a five-star review on Apple or, you know, Spotify, all those places that allow you to do so. Tell a friend about the show. And if you want to go the extra mile, it's patreon.com slash noencore. Top five musical pet hates is our top five this week. So we do a top five every week with the guest where I pick five songs or albums or things. My guest does the same. That's the format. Before we get to the top five, which of course will be later on after the news, just uh, I chose the topics, Zara, but how did you find tackling the subject? Um, well, from the moment you suggested it, I was kind of apprehensive because it is such a broad topic. Um and there were so many different things that you could hone in on. Um, but then actually getting down to the brass tacks of making my selections, I did find it difficult enough because one or two things, like I had a long list of maybe nine things and I cut them down. And within them, sometimes I had about three different pet peeves in one thing. Um, I also just didn't want to come across as very negative as well okay. um, uh, because it's an exclusively negative top uh, yeah this <laughs> <laughs> um, be an interesting top five everybody. yeah because I, I guess we all know like working in music in different kind of uh, as- facets of it how difficult it is as an industry and didn't want to just like punch down exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously these are all very subjective things as we'll find out from my list and yours um, so in that regard I did kind of have a bit of a conscience uh, during the week last night putting it together I felt slightly bad about some of the things I was honing in on but ultimately it's all just a bit of fun it's all a bit of fun yeah that's true I, I, I chose the topic Yeah, uh, thinking it'd be easy I talked Zara into it mm. and then I found it really hard to put together Yeah, I think I sent my list to Adam uh, at around 1 o'clock today uh, I can find the exact time if it you might have so. been slightly beforehand but it was very much like yeah I, I was up against it down to the wire mm. last week this week down to the wire when did you finish your top five James? like today yeah. literally like about <laughs> lunchtime yeah. yeah I received the email at 12.23pm <laughs> <laughs> usually it's the night before yeah. but uh, no nah, I was down to the wire I woke up this morning needing to uh, have two more to go in and I was like what the fuck am I going to do mm. one I will say as Adam will attest to because he assisted with it a bit of a stroke of genius on my behalf, I will say. I think very good, yes. 
And the I other, will say no more. The other was like, I guess this will do. I guess we'll okay. see. We'll see. And we'll did you have the conscience thing as well? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if we, without talking around it too much, I mean, Ireland's very small. Yeah. And I don't want to <laughs> single out any Irish musicians who may be listening to this podcast. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I was careful, I think. I kept it fairly general. You mm. know, I'm happy enough with it, you know. Yeah, I'm happy enough with mine too. I don't think mine can get me into trouble. Trouble. I don't know, Adam. What do you think? Um, I mean, like, I feel like you're in a constant state of trouble with Dave on this podcast. So, and society at large. And society yeah. at large. No, I'm only kidding. Um, I think there's definitely merit in both sides. What's great is I get to see both sides every week. So. I kind like of like Chanel. <laughs> Very nice. Didn't even think about it. God damn it. Uh, that, that would have been a good link for the new section. But mm. um, yeah, no, it's nice to kind of get a bit of an advanced look because I know what's coming. And yeah, I think there'll be a lot to talk about on both mm. sides. And like, I definitely agree with some. I definitely disagree with others. But at the end of the day, it is a subjective thing. So it's, mm. uh, yeah, going to be an interesting one. I'm looking forward to hearing what you disagree with. Yeah, we'll get we'll get to it. That wasn't like a probing challenge of being like, all right, mate, like see you in the alleyway, like, what are you disagreeing with? No, um, no, it, you know yourself though, it's like some things you might see is like, oh, I wouldn't have ever, like when I saw both lists, I'd be like, oh, I wouldn't have ever necessarily considered that as yeah. something that really grinds my gears or anything. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's Espe- cool. Especially like with your production hat on, like obviously mm. you work with quite a lot of modern artists. Um so I I am actually really interested to hear your take on some of the things because not to spoilers or anything, but like a lot of my gripes I think come from modern music. Mm-hmm. Um, but enough of that. Fucking Little Miss Seventies over here, is it? You know, I'm only in my thirties. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, that amazing pun. Uh, let's have the news, shall we? <laughs> Start spreading the news. A nice vintage crooner for you there, Zara. You yeah, that, I appreciate you? that. Yeah. <laughs> An old standard, if you will. Uh, but speaking of disagreements, someone who disagreed with me uh, to kick off the news section this week, uh, I got a text message on Friday morning when the podcast came out and it said, Dave, I love you so much. I'm saying this to you as your friend. Coach Ella, not Coachella. So my pronunciation of, as apparently it's pronounced, Coachella mm-hmm. has been uh, thrown under the bus. I, I said Coachella and never again. So the before, question is... Before we move on, can I just, can I say, I disagree. I'm glad you do. I think that, I I would have gone with that pronunciation. I think it actually, I, I think the phantom texture was perhaps correct. I think it is in fact Coachella. So. I would have always said Coachella. But I have heard people say Coachella as well. Yeah, everyone's a critic, it's fine. Uh, who do we think sent me that text message? Zara, ladies first. Um, just instinctively and as well with the kind of the warmth that preceded it with the I love you so much I thought it was uh, the one the only flop culture ho- podcast host Fanilla Jones personally I thought it was friend of the show and former recent co-host Michael Pope the answer is Fanilla Jones oh. <gasps> well done Zara yeah. 
is this the quiz? Uh, <laughs> I got my own back in Vanilla though because I ended up hosting, co-hosting Movies and Booze with her on News Talk last week and I showed up to, to Marconi house as she was walking in and she was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I'm doing the fucking radio with you. <laughs> baby. <laughs> I might have said baby. I might have dropped a baby. But uh, yeah. You know, you dropped a baby. <laughs> David. I was going to say, it's been a busy week. Uh, and, and a less busy week though for Frank Ocean mm. who pulled out of Coachella, of course, as we knew. The 11th hour, we got the, we got, we got the audio recording last week of me in my kitchen so hysterically gross. reacting to the most predictable news of all time. And what I didn't do was include the previous voice note where, which was like precluded by you laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Being like, it's happened. It's, yeah. it's actually happened. Yeah. yeah. Of course it has. I, I felt bad. I felt bad for us. I felt worse for the 909 podcast because they did an entire podcast episode about mm-hmm. Frank Ocean and Jay Paul, Jay Paul at Coachella. Um, whereas with us, it was just a news story. So it was fine. Mm. We got the drop in. We're all bases covered, you yeah. know, what yeah. can I say? I, I mean, I wasn't particularly surprised when I heard this, that news. that You he, shouldn't have been. <laughs> no, I mean, I still just so vividly, like my memory is terrible at the best times, but I will never, ever forget that summer of waiting for Blonde and just like wait, waking up every Friday morning, just being like, is it out now? And just like immediately going to like Spotify and not seeing it there. And he'd be like, oh, still doing some tweaks. Um, So then to see that he had pulled out of this, like not, surprising but like I did feel kind of sad and bad for him I guess in some ways Um, obviously as like as well Fanula Jones she had put up the Instagram story of saying how she had seen him back in 2013 and he's not killers of all people I know it was Frank Ocean the killers two door cinema club and I forget who the fourth act was yeah I can't remember, but what a... Heim, I think. Heim. It was Heim. It was Heim. Um, But like, I do kind of admire the ambition that he put into the stage production behind the show. Which they then use anyway. Well, they had to... Did they not have to melt down the ice rink? Maybe initially, but I mean, there was a whole week going by, you're out in the desert, but they made this massive ice rink. Yeah. So the initial story that Billboard had during the week, right, was that the promoter for Coachella... Golden Voice spent several million dollars building the ice rink and they were seeking to a way to incorporate it into some other upcoming performance to offset their losses. And in the end, it was used by Skrillex, Adam's favourite. Quartet and Fred again? Yep. Mm-hmm. OMG, was it OMG TBA? That was like their whole thing. Is that their thing? Well, they had like, it was a headline, they had the headline thing on the sun, was it the Friday or the Sunday? They were whatever. They were closing one of the days anyway. It was Monday. Sunday that yeah. most recently because they Blink One Eighty Two officially replaced Frank Ocean, mm-hmm. but then the trio of Fortet, Fred again, and Skrillex went on after them. So mm-hmm. they closed out the festival and they used the staging, which apparently cost quite a lot of money. Uh, Frank Ocean himself was reportedly scheduled to make four million dollars per performance for a total of eight million, but he will only be paid for the first weekend because obviously he only did the first weekend mm-hmm. with the second four million dollars going to Blink One Eighty Two instead. A nice payday. For the boys. Yeah. You love to see it. <laughs> Absolutely outrageous. It's like $4 million. It's a lot of money. That right? is a lot of money. And the festival is unlikely to ask Frank Ocean to recoup any expense. So he's got away with one here, I think. Whoa. I hope yeah. his ankle is okay. Yeah. You know, those things can be a bit of a bitch. So <laughs> hopefully he's all right. Um, but yeah, I guess like this story was, it was interesting. It wasn't, as we have said a couple of times, it wasn't surprising. But like... I do kind of wonder, is Frank okay? Do you know what I mean? I kind of am thinking the same thing as well because obviously he had that big speech about his, like him and his brother going to Coachella. 
get the pronunciation Thank right. Thank you, Vanilla. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wonder if like, you can't, you can't help but think that that had something to do with it as well. Mm. It's very sad. Very sad, very yeah. Sad. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're having a little bit of fun with it because it's, you know, it's a over-the-top kind of almost comical situation, but obviously... You know, this is a podcast that loves Frank Ocean and hopes for the best. I just mm. wouldn't necessarily shell out five hundred dollars to go see him because yeah. I anticipate it wouldn't work out the way I would hope. It translate, would. yeah, probably mm. wouldn't. No, but um, Zara, your top five, no spoilers, but I wonder if one of your five pet hates in music is the existence of the nineteen seventy five. As you joked, or did you joke when I, <laughs> I did joke, yeah. when I threw out this idea for this top five? That was your first response to me. It was, yeah. Um, I mean. On this podcast in particular, I've always... Just in case anyone is unfamiliar uh, with your history. Not fond. Not fond of the 975? Yeah, particularly Matty Healy. Is um, it exclusively him? Do you think the band are okay? The music is all right? Like, is it him? Like, if, if they were... It if, is mostly less, him, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, it's mostly him. Like, the things that he does, his lyrics, the things he says in interviews, his general kind of shtick, it just does not do for me. I don't like him at all. I don't think he's a very inspiring person. I don't think he's a good role model for people who would be fans of his uh, of their music. Um, so, yeah, Je- Cliff Notes, not, fan, not a fan of Maddie Healy. Um, and then to see something like this news story that we're going to talk about, not surprising, just because he is just such an immature, immature sorry, I was about to say immature. Immature, immature and I also had the word twat in my I head. I thought you might have, yeah. yeah so it almost became immature. 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 That is patreon.com forward slash no encore. So, yeah, no, okay. We talked on the podcast a few months ago about a controversial podcast somehow more controversial than this one if that's if such thing is imaginable the Adam Freeland show in which Maddie Healy was a guest and they made controversial comments about lots of different things that episode has since been scrubbed from the internet I believe taken off like Spotify and Apple and that kind of stuff anyway I'm sure the audio is still out there because it was up for months and um, yeah I said in the podcast that you know I found some of it funny, not the bad stuff. I thought the Julian Casablanca's mocking was kind of funny. Mm. But unfortunately, there was also a lot of fucking racial, horrible shit in there as well. And it's just, it's not cool, is it? So basically, uh, Ice Spice, that uh, pop sensation, was one of the, I guess, targets of that kind of uh, ribald humor, um, that kind of ironic bullshit. And, you know, uh, it's taken some time, but at a festival appearance, I think, over the weekend, uh, Maddie Healy to the crowd apologized uh, oh no it wasn't a festival it was one of their shows in Auckland sorry his apology as well is one of the most insincere things I have ever seen in my life do you want to read the apology he said on stage in Auckland um, as part of the band's at the very best tour he was on stage and he goes I just feel a bit bad and I'm kind of a bit sorry if I've offended you it's like oh I Spice I'm sorry that's not an apology and then he went on to say it's not because I'm annoyed that me joking got misconstrued it's because I don't want Ice Spice to think I'm a dick I love you Ice Spice I'm so sorry it's just like well the way you reacted on that podcast doesn't really indicate that because as the hosts were um, as it says here they were kind of making jokes about her heritage Um, it says here debating whether she was Hawaiian Inuit or Chinese before impersonating the accents of those countries and regions Um, while Healy didn't participate in the mocking of accents he did laugh along with the podcast hosts I think that's just as complicit as doing the act itself because 
like if you're on a platform like that and if you're someone of a position of um this of Matty Healy, you ha- have the power to call out someone on a po- whether it's a podcast right or not. There, like, like yeah, right there. he should have been like lads come on that is really immature or else even I don't know after the recording like even if he didn't want to do that publicly on a podcast forum where he didn't want to like seem to be undermining the hosts even though they were doing something absolutely horrible um, and unacceptable he could have after the recording just been like look that kind of conversation about Ice Spice and like her heritage maybe you could edit you should, you should edit that out because that's just not cool I don't know what do you think David well yeah like like discussed at the time I think there was an element of you know he's leaning into the kind of taboo thing about this whole thing it's all knowing it's all ironic these are his mates he's clearly impressed by them mm. you know is egging them on at one stage like with a different thing about an accent um yeah I, I think that's all valid it was kind of surprising that he didn't step in but it was also kind of telling that he didn't step mm. in because clearly he was like I'm having a laugh you know it was all a bit sixth form you know mm. it was all a bit kind of secondary school <gasps> not this isn't excusing it I'm just trying to get into the mindset of like you know He's there with these comedians who were what was that? What's that fucking phrase? The dirtbag left. That like that like that kind of. So I guess there's the ironic knowing thing where it's like, well, they're not really being racist, you know, like because like, they don't actually mean it. You know, they're not going to go to like fucking rallies or anything, and they're trying to lean into the whole. You know, they're 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 dancing on the edge of a comedian in 2023, and I guess Matty Healy's getting off on this, and it's all a bit of fun. But at the same time, look, come on, you know, it's it's. Mm. It's not even taken out of context. It's just not like it's like accent humor isn't funny. Mm. Like it's it's not the eighties anymore. Yeah. You know, if it ever was. Yeah. So I kind of feel like, and yeah, it's easier. It, like, it's more surprising that he didn't have the wherewithal to be like, well, this isn't going to go down well. Yeah. But again, maybe he gets off on that kind of thing, and it's taken months for this to even kind of for him to make any kind of reference to it at all. Um, there was a hysterical reaction from the stand base at the time that we discussed, um, and even if you know. Even if you had good intentions, the stand stuff tends to kind of distort things a bit. The volume has turned up quite a lot and the fact that the tour just went on and he just kept going and there was nothing to it and the podcast was up for ages. Only recently it's been taken down, which makes me wonder what happened to get it taken down at this point? Like, why did it take that long? Mm. Who made that decision? You know, who put the pressure on them to, to remove it? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, like, it's 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 all very avoidable, isn't it? Mm. I mean, like, like comedy is comedy. You know, it's hard to push boundaries, I suppose, in this day and age, but you don't need to be a dick to do it. Mm. His own um, statement on that stage uh, about this situation continues. He said, um, in Auckland, he said, I don't want anything like that misconstrued to be mean. I don't mind being a bit of a joker. It's okay for me to be, like, a trickster or whatever. But I don't want to be seen as like being barmy because honestly, I just love you guys and I love doing this. The truth is, it's a bit of a problem because I just want to say, hello, this is a bit embarrassing. I'm sorry if I get it wrong. We all get it wrong. I just have to do it in public and then apologize to Ice Spice. My life's just a bit weird. I'm genuinely sorry if I've upset her because I fucking love her. I'm sorry, but my life's just a bit weird. Fuck off. Like, seriously. Yeah. Like, that is just... In the in the depths of his like faux apology, then just being a bit like "woe is me," like "oh my life's weird, I can't, <laughs> I can't do this." I'm adorable. Oh, I say I laughed with these people who were being mean, but it's also just like it seems like he acted on that podcast in a way that like he would 
if those microphones weren't in the room and if he was like, maybe he would have said something if the microphones weren't in the room. But it just kind of, I don't know. Maybe he wouldn't. Maybe if they were in a bar, it'd be the same conversation. We don't know that. Yeah. And then like uh, he continued on to be like, he also recently announced that he was quitting social media, claiming that the era of me being a fucking arsehole is coming to an end. I've had enough. Well, Matty, likewise. (laughs) You must be happy with that. (laughs) I hope that uh, the era of him quitting music also comes up soon because I'm sick of him being a fucking arsehole. That most recent album was actually quite good, I thought, you know. They got, I think they got more in the bank in terms of good music than that. Oh, they've got a lot in the bank, I'd say, after all their... Uh, finally, uh, with regarding to the social media thing, he said, I perform all the time and it's my job, but I love doing this, but I can't perform off stage anymore as I just want to be a bloke. Just wants to be a bloke, Zara. Go to the football, you know, watch EastEnders or something. I don't know. Mm. What do blokes do these days? Sometimes as well when he like has these moments where he acts out, I can't help but think about the fact that Denise Welch is his mother. His mom, yeah. And like what she would say to him. Because like... Sometimes I She's will. She's one of the loose women, is she? Yeah. So sometimes I will watch loose women if the telly's on in the afternoon, um, and just some of the things that she goes on about. I'm just like, you are Matty Healy's mom. Like you are in part to blame, responsible for this. <laughs> and then just like when he gets himself in trouble, like, do you do anything? Like, where, where's the parenting? Who's more interesting, Matty Healy or Taylor Swift? Oh God. Be honest. Who's more interesting? I would actually say Taylor Swift. In a more w- interesting. Has more of a personality. Well, I don't think he... Uh, <laughs> oh, this, is a, this is a really <laughs> tough question. Like, I think if we're talking like across the board, including career, all the rest of it, definitely Taylor Swift. Mm. Why? Like, just all like the business stuff, the like production choices, album rollouts, like personal life you know mm. I think it all amounts to a hell of a lot more and maybe that's what Matty Healy's compensating for the fact that it's like kind of okay. not it's a bit devoid of substance in the background I don't know well the reason I bring up Miss mm. Swift is because uh, a freelance employee connected to Swift LLC has uh, praised their boss for being amazing <laughs> Uh, Aaron Dessner of the National, everybody, oh, <laughs> praised Taylor Swift's Eras tour. This is the tour she's on at the moment, calling it, quote, the greatest show I've ever seen. This man wants a Christmas bonus. <laughs> <laughs> Give me another album, Taylor. Unbelievable. Oh. Let me in. Let Do me you see the in. stands? The Taylor Swift stands this week had a, had a freak out because they realized that Aaron Dessner has a twin brother. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they're all posting photos being like, there's two of him? <laughs> and people are like, oh my God. that's his brother, Bryce. They're in a band together. My Seriously, god. it's astonishing. So are they now kind of like, oh my god, maybe we'll get double the Taylor releases kind of, if yeah, like yeah. Uh, it, it's if wild. Bryce steps up. Like all the Taylor Swift stands are just going to listen to the National and get sad now. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to be like another well, another I mean, pandemic. It is wild though how like the the Swift stands don't seem to know that the National are in fact a huge band and have been for a long time. It's just mm. it, well, w- they when think that Aaron Dessner just like that she like created him in a lab or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you're in a stand base like that. It's really blinkers on, isn't it? Like, well, I guess as well because he is not to like reduce the role that he played in like folklore and and evermore. Like, but I guess, and Adam, this is going to come across bad. I don't. She's going to throw producers under the bus, Adam, and writers at, at the no, same time. I, <laughs> <laughs> they don't really matter. Let's, Adam. Have it, let's have it, Zara. Come on. <laughs> no, but like, I guess with say some Taylor Swift fans, not all of them, um, but some probably just don't really 
not like care about like the producer or like their merits in their career, but it's just kind of a, a name of to them. A lack of understanding. A lack yeah. of understanding, yeah. I guess that's probably true. Some of them I think would probably be a bit au fait with it because they'd be you know, they're so into Taylor Swift that they end up being so into the music industry and all the stuff behind it. I want to pull this thread and see where it goes type thing. Kind of, yeah, mm. but I also think that, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. And realistically, he's just a name that appears on a record sleeve. Yeah. Like, that's not a dig. I think it's just... But your level of involvement and again, yeah, a lot yeah. of Taylor Swift fans are quite young and they'll just be like, she does everything. She and does the music yeah. industry is so vast, like the yeah. amount of people involved in making a record. Same time though, yeah. it's not like he's 100%. been hidden from public view and if anything, you know, as much as I would critique the Taylor Swift stands for being completely fucking insane and frothing at the mouth on the bad <laughs> side of things, uh, it, is <laughs> kind of, scene, yeah. it is kind of cute on the other hand when you see people being like, we love this Aaron Dessner guy, but of course they only love him because he works on her association, like yeah. But yeah. I, as a long time fan of the national uh i find that kind of a, a weird cute thing mm. so if, if anyone if anyone who somehow doesn't know uh desner co-wrote co-produced swift's surprise 2020 albums folklore and evermore alongside jack antonoff um and she's worked with him again since <laughs> I love they're just like brushing that name under the rock jack antonoff yeah. and <laughs> so uh new interview with enemy because uh, obviously the national are promoting their new album the first two pages of frankenstein which comes out this friday yeah have you heard it no I'm I am not a huge national fan. They just never kind of um I, I never gravitated through, to them. Sorry to cut you off. I I went through a phase where I was obsessed with them for a long yeah. time and then I've kind of plateaued a bit. Yeah. And so I'm kinda of like, Oh yeah, I'll listen to it, but you know, the last albums have just been fine. Yeah. You know? Like I have heard like so many of my friends have seen them live and say it's an amazing experience. You in particular have show. said that. Yeah. But yeah, just something just never really kind of clicked with me, whether it was Matt Berninger's vocal style. Like there are one or two songs that so I do think never, are great. You've never seen them live at all? No. I'd recommend it. I really yeah, no, like, yeah. look, I'd, as we, I think, said on the last podcast, the acts that we would and wouldn't go and see, um, they are one that, yeah, I would be 100% open to go and see because I have heard that it's great. Um, I do love, especially, like, the drumming in a lot of their songs is really great. Their drummer's amazing. Yeah. Uh, the rhythm section as a whole is fantastic. Bryce Devendorf, I think, is his name. I should know that. Um, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're a tremendous band. And yeah. the Destiny Brothers are amazing. Like, like they're a great band in, mm. like, as, like, in that regard. So... Taylor Swift is going to be on the new album, you know, returning the favour, I suppose. Uh, mm. She's on what has been described as a subtle duet and back and forth conversation. Are duets subtle? Like, as by design, they're not subtle, right? I don't know. I don't know. The John Cale album that came out this year in January, he, on the 11 songs, I think eight of them have duets on them or like features. And are any of them subtle? Yeah. I stand there's corrected. Actually, there's quite a few songs where like, say who does he have like Animal Collective are on a song and it's re- like you have to almost sometimes I felt anyway keep returning to the track list to be like okay is this one that doesn't have a feature on it because it's very it depends like the Wise Blood one is obviously kind of quite prominent because her voice is so distinct mm-hmm. but yeah that was kind of a, a case recently where I was like yeah there is actually such a thing as a subtle do well, like no, I said, I completely corrected. Well, the tour that she's on isn't subtle. Uh, Aaron, Dessner, <laughs> Aaron Dessner said in this interview, it's kind of the greatest show I've ever seen. It's just insane, the scale of the tour and the music, the visual design, the choreography and her musicianship. It's on a level I've never seen anything like before. To me, it's something to aspire to, to be that ambitious with her music. I think people sometimes ask me questions about working with pop stars like it's not an honour, but it's a total honour. I learned way more from her than she's learned with us. There you go. This man is kissing the ring. Yeah. Let me tell you. 
I mean, uh, Phoebe Bridgers is on the national album. Yeah, would, he, would he be skipping that track? <laughs> you said. I was waiting for the reaction. You said. You you said <laughs> Willie Harold. You said <laughs> doing my Jerry Hannon for the day. You said on the radio recently when you reviewed the Boy Genius oh, album geez, on RT like, Arena. I can do anything with You it, said like. that you were pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. by how much Phoebe Bridgers was growing on you. Um. Yeah. So it was like her production prowess. Especially with the Boy Genius album, and which, which I you gave a good review too. You liked it, yeah, I did. Yeah. Records, to be fair, it is actually like record. I remember sitting down listening to the Boy Genius album, and I was very hesitant and like apprehensive. And then, like I hate to say, it, but like from the very opening track, that a cappella song, I was just like, "Wow, this is actually quite special." But I do also really like Lucy Dacus, Julian Baker. I'm not as familiar with, but I did find that every time. Phoebe Bridges appeared and sang I was like shut up like I can't <laughs> but I have to say that you can really feel where her hand was strong in the instrumentation and the production on that album and it did make me go back to Punisher a bit and I do remember I think I had to review Punisher really loving the opening track on that album DVD menu but that's an instrumental so if you would you rather interview Phoebe Bridgers or would you rather interview Fred Durst of Limp Bizkit fame oh god let me tell you when I saw this in the running order oh my god <laughs> I was so happy I was so happy, particularly for you. New Metal is back, baby. <laughs> and if these trends continue, hey. Okay, so Let me tell you, we'll all be eating good, guys. <laughs> Online interest in New Metal is now at its highest point since 2004. Oh my God, I've never seen you beam as the, much as you are right now. In the United States of America, when Google Trends began tracking such data, the rise in the genre's popularity was spotted and shared by the popular Twitter account, Crazy ass moments in new metal history. Do you run that account secretly, David? Surprisingly enough, I don't actually. I followed it before, but I had to unfollow because the guy just posts way too often. Too much new metal. Too, there is such a thing. Yeah, uh, my doctor diagnosed me with that <laughs> back in in two thousand five. Um, so yeah, um, the data shows an up and down wave of search interest in the term new metal between two thousand four and around two thousand seven, before plateauing between two thousand nine and approximately twenty twenty. But since twenty twenty, interest in new metal has seen a steady rise overtaking its previous peak from 2004 around August of last year. So yeah, the 20-year rule that's often cited, everything comes back again. Is it time to break out the wallet chains, the lip rings, the backwards baseball caps, the board shorts? (laughs) I think it is. (laughs) The DC shoes. I think it's time. I'm going to be rolling, rolling, rolling out of that scene. Absolutely not. I think think you're drinking the Kool-Aid coming out with something like that now. It's very funny, I will say. Uh, Limp Bizkit recently announced a huge London show. There's a 20th anniversary of Linkin Park's Meteora out there. There's new bands out there called stuff like Wargasm. It's all happening, guys. What can I say? Apart from the 20-year cycle, which obviously is very valid, and we have seen it... Uh, bring up the dust uh, of so many different, if you will. Oh Phenomenal. my god! <laughs> I, I will. Oh my. Sometimes when you spend when you spend enough time with journalists, guys, you just you soak it all in. That was fifty million out of ten. That was very <laughs> okay. Good. Okay, where were you going with this? Yeah. Um, uh, like is this like a TikTok thing aside from the Twitter account I don't do you, think so no but why do you think now people are rejoicing about new metal again I think it's just the world has gone through a tremendous trauma in the uh, wake of the pandemic and whether it's that and just the talk of financial crashes and just a general kind of unease in the world the rise of the far right transphobia like like the world is going through a, a tough time at the moment I think it's been quite scarred up by a lot of bad people and if anything 
can overcome such horrors. It is, in fact, down-tuned guitars. <laughs> oh, my God. I was wondering where you were going. So was I. And I was Pop-like like, metal choruses. I was like, as well, he's being very sincere. I was like, is, where is this going? Well, I feel like new metal kind of was born out of the shadow of 9-11, so that's kind of where I was going with that. Do you think as well that, like... Even though it was around before that, so it doesn't really make any sense. Do you think as well this resurgence and uh, reappraisal and and appreciation for new metal do you think that this is coming to a, a younger audience who maybe didn't experience the first wave because I remember last time I was here with you and we did best and worst songs of 2001 and unfortunately I did have Limp Biscuit in one of the worst and there was some disputing about that because it was originally released in the year 2000 <laughs> But you were like, it came out in Ireland in 2001, fuck off. And I was like, all right. an impression of me, David? Maybe, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but like, and I, I remember saying like that new metal and those bands just, I, when I was 14 or whatever it was, when they came out, just never did it for me. I went the other way. But now, like like that a month ago when I was going through loads of new metal bands, it still just didn't do it for me. And sure. I wonder if it is the kind of, the the... The eyes of youth and the ears of youth. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I don't know about that. I think it's more, I think it's more nostalgia. I think it's more kind of anniversary pieces and kind of classic albums of that time getting their 20 year kind of reprisals and that kind of stuff. I was thinking about this and I don't think it's going to come back in in any kind of actually cogent mainstream popular way because it can't. I think it was very much of its time. I think it's not dissimilar to like we talked about Meet Me in the Bathroom recently. It's, it was a time and a place and it was Mm -hmm. also a way that music was consumed. It was, you know, magazines had more of a role. There was less uh, accessibility and availability to all kinds of music at the fucking touch of a button. Mm. You kind of clutch bands close to your chest. Major labels were interested. It was a different thing. Mm. I I think, I really do think that it it was a moment in time and it was a blip and that's it. There'll always be new metal bands because it's just a a subgenre of metal Mm. and there'll be bands that prefer to do that kind of, you know, uh, adrenaline, quick choruses, kind of stuff, but nah, it's never going to have the level of reach mm. it once had. It, 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 it can't. It doesn't make any sense. So. I also wonder if um, a contributing factor to that nostalgia was maybe the Woodstock '99 documentaries that came out kind of the last year. Or that so. actually probably is a yeah yeah that's big, probably a huge call, thing, yeah. Yeah. yeah big spike yeah. Um, did you watch that? I did. I was. Very stressed out watching it's just, that. It's, it's just so anxiety-inducing. I watched it on a plane. <laughs> I was trapped. I couldn't move. Oh, God, that no. That bit, though, when Corn play blind and the crowd are fucking moving like a waveform. It's unbelievable. Oh. It's, it's excellent to see, like, that that kind of subgenre of music as we know it now could do that. It was, like, essentially, like, filled the whole place, you know? Mm. Um and people were going specifically to see those kinds of acts. So, mm. yeah, it's like a nice little moment in time, I think. And finally this week, um, pop star Megan Trainer has apologised for saying on a podcast, fuck teachers. Well, Megan, my dad was a teacher, so <laughs> piss off. All right, top five time. <laughs> Let's uh, let's get into this top five. Someone say piss off in a while. I was gonna say fuck off, but I thought I, I thought I'd fuck right off. Cleanse it a bit, you know. Yeah. Clean it up a bit. Bad sentiment. Sure, sure, sure. All right, here we go. Uh, Top five. It's top five. Pet hates. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We've explained it earlier in the show. Pet hates, you know yourself. You got your own. I'm sure there's something that you're thinking of right now. So we'll jump in with our Zara. You are our wonderful guest. Oh, thanks, David. And so I'd love you to go first. Okay, so my number five, and I really don't want you to take this personally. Um, Is it obnoxious podcast hosts? (laughs) Music. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very different top five, Dave. Yeah. Um, No, so obviously, David, we have our friendship. Sure. Um, With friendship, I think, comes great communication. You're not about to play five Destroyer songs again, are you? Jesus, I learned my lesson that time. Fucking hope so. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think we all learned a lesson that day. Um, No, so part of friendship, I would say, is communication, sharing memes, texting. And then I think the odd time, which we have done and do um, regularly enough, you in particular, and I know that you're quite fond of this uh, medium of um, communication with friends, is something that has creeped into music quite a lot. And I, for one, while I love seeing a five-minute-long voice message arrive from Dave Hanratty on a Saturday morning, <laughs> I don't necessarily enjoy hearing it on my song. So, Adam? You ain't alone. Keep a smile on your face. Everything's going to be fine. I love you. They say you should smile more. Darling, show your eyes more. Aren't you satisfied? Okay, so my number five pet peeve in music is the use of voice notes in songs. And as we heard there with Noah Cyrus um, getting uh, a voice note there from her father, Billy Ray Cyrus, um, saying that, you know, she's great, everything's going to be okay, keep, keep your head up and all that kind of stuff. I find this motif there's something about it that I just don't really enjoy hearing on albums because I like say with my relationship with voice notes generally it is if you know you want to express something to your friend sometimes you could be on the go or you know it's just handier and then other times I think the tone of a voice note can just be a bit more sympathetic and empathetic because you actually hear the person's voice and I do find that a lot of the time when I have heard this used in songs it is in that kind of way that we've heard Billy Rice Iris being like trying to pep the person up or like the artist involved trying to like reinvigorate them or make them feel special or make them feel like everything's going to be okay and I completely appreciate and think that's a great thing to do to have people like that in your life who will do that with music though sometimes uh, I just feel it can be a little bit I don't know come across a bit self-absorbed or something like that and I kind of sometimes wish that instead of putting the voice note into a song that the artist would take that message and then maybe 
write lyrics inspired by how that moment or how that message made them feel instead. Um, what if they do both, though? I assume they do both. I assume they do both, but if they do then put it into their lyrics, I don't really feel, I don't really feel the need that I should hear a voice note from your friend. And <laughs> do you know what I mean? And like, I do think that there is maybe one or two examples where it can be kind of funny, like um, on the aforementioned Frank Ocean on Blonde, the voice message on Be Yourself from his mom, uh, Rose Watson, where like, it's what, about two minutes long or something like that? It's, yeah. it's long enough. Um, that's like, that's sometimes in that message, I think it's quite like, not funny, but like the way she's just like, don't do drugs and all that. Like, it's a very like mom Lazy, thing to do. Un, yeah, and it's, or, yeah, yeah, and it's very relatable. And I think it's just kind of like yeah, moms, moms being moms. Whereas I think when you're sharing very personal and very intimate conversations and I know that they will ask the person involved permission, yeah. permission. I know that well you hope they did <laughs> yeah yeah um but uh, like this came into my head in particular because recently I reviewed the daughter album Stereo Mind Game and I thought that was a really good album I really liked it and interspersed in that album there's a few like different like interludes and towards the end there's a song Miss Calls which has like different kind of voice notes and voicemails in that song. And I was really enjoying up until that song. It's like the ninth or eighth song in it. And it just took me out of the world. And I was like, oh, I just wish this wasn't there. So that's my number five. Do you think it's too modern? I don't necessarily think it's too modern because I guess it also kind of like back in the day with skits and stuff like that, sometimes they would have, like, say, maybe uh, contrived or, like, uh, reenacted voicemails sent between friends. So it's not necessarily a modern thing. I kind of just feel like it's a... This sounds really bad, but a bit of a self-indulgent and even maybe lazy thing to do. Yeah, no, you think it spells it out. Um, I don't mind it. I think it might be a bit overdone at the moment. Mm. Uh, I think it might be a little bit overdone in 2023. There was kind of a time period there where I felt like everyone was doing it. Mm. Uh, I do think it can be done well. Um, I, the, the, there is a Touche Amore song where it's there's a, a, a voice, a, a message from his now passed on mother and I think it might be the one that he references on the song New Halloween and it kind of ties into the overall concept of everything and in that context that is just such a naked raw telling of that story that it kind of has to be there mm. and the fact that he, at one stage he says I still haven't found the courage to listen to that but then we'll play it on the record it's like it, it shows some level of growth or something mm. that he now has and he's letting his, the people feel that and hear it and there was a song you know there's a song like by a band called Blue October uh, called Hate Me back mm. in the day that a friend of mine was obsessed with I think it's okay it's very very emo and again there's like a voice note from a mother being like you know trying to look after her son basically mm. so yeah and I'm conflicted on it because I think that yeah I agree with, I know what you're saying it can be shorthand for it can be almost like you know like in a film where the the score like like the person doing the score is like telling you how to feel exactly yeah kind of manipulating you a little bit yeah, yeah. so I, I get that yeah I, I think it can work I'm not against it but I do think it can be a little bit of a crutch it can be a little bit overplayed now as well mm. and it's almost expected at times but I think if you I think if you get it right, mm. I, I think it's a good technique to maybe throw in there on occasion. So I'm not disagreeing. It's your pet hate, you know? It's all yours. If I might throw my spoke in, 
on this one real quick. Uh, I've used it definitely as part of like making records before. I think it's, for me, um, I do agree with what Dave said in the sense of maybe in 2023, it does feel like it might be a bit fatigued as a technique to use on a record. Um, But the reason I... I, for an example, we used the um, we used them on as interludes and intros and stuff on all the leaves are falling, the Nilo record, and the reason I was including them in that regard or the whole kind of thought behind it was because it's real and it's like taken from real life and it's not performative, so it kind of like like what Dave said, it, t- it tells a bit of a story. I think we're of similar mindsets in that regard and. Uh, and thinking about the use of the device. And we're both uh, sad emo boys. Yeah. <laughs> we, can, we, we can't yeah. rule that out. That's a huge part of this. Uh, yeah, but like I, I, I definitely see a merit in their usage in terms of like giving a real, like a level of authenticity and realness to something that is essentially fabricated does that does it make sense mm-hmm. as, as yeah. to what I'm saying I don't know anyway that's just my thoughts on it as a producer who has employed the method before um, yeah. that's you told Zara no no I don't disagree I don't disagree at all <laughs> it, like it's it, it can be chalk and cheese and I fully understand that, yeah, I, that uh, like when it's not if it's like if it's not executed right and I'm not saying I executed it right but it felt good and if it's not executed right I've heard ones and I'm like fuck Hmm. doing it for me at all yeah I think you can as well like you can almost hear where it is sincerely used and where it's just used to as a kind of stopgap to fill in minutes on an album yeah. or a release yeah, yeah. Um, I think my issue is very much the latter um, but still I'm yeah I'm just a bit tired of it but I love your work, Adam. <laughs> nice life. Yeah. And so do I. Number... Thank you, Dave. Whose work do you not like, Dave? <laughs> well, we're going to find out because this is an artist that I do like at number five, but employs a technique that I really can't stand. Here's my number five. Ese gritalito roto Yo sentí como crujía Antes de caer ese suelo Ya sabía que se rompía Uf, está parpadeando so that's Rosalia, Rosalia, who I think is great. She rules, but I struggle with some of her music because of hand claps. I hate hand claps, everybody. I hate clapping and hand claps. I can't stand it. And I also want to just spell out straight away. The last thing I want to do is punch down on like you know anything cultural. Like, I, like I think you know a lot of Latin American music relies on rhythms and complex rhythms, and hand claps can be one of those things. And also, clearly, it takes a great fucking deal of skill to do it. So you know, more skill than I possess, at least from that point of view. But to me, it's nails on a chalkboard. Just that sound, even like hearing it there, I kind of did mm. wince Cringe a little bit. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's my own ears. It's just it's just how I take to music. I just I can't stand hand claps. I never could quite get up, get it, get on board with it. It really, I find it just very pervasive or something. It just really kind of gets in my ear canals, and it can be all I can hear at times. Sometimes it's like it's it could be like listening to an arpeggiated synth where. That can be the greatest sound of all time, but if you focus too much on it, all of a sudden everything around it just kind of falls into pieces. And with this, yeah, it is nails on a chalkboard to me. 
I wish it wasn't. I don't even I don't even quite know why it is. Everyone has those things, right? Where it's like whether it's an ASMR thing and you're like, oh I can't listen to that. Mm. Like I love the sound of, you know, rain at night. Like 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 I do love I know that's I know that's like the fucking most cliche bullshit no, ever, yeah. but I do love it. Yeah. But hand claps, no, I just I I, I, I freak out. It's proper like I gotta leave the fucking room stuff. I just can't stand it. Um, and even like clapping in general. I mean, like people clapping at gigs. People need to stop encouraging people to try and clap along in time at a gig, especially in Ireland. We got no fucking rhythm. It never works. Speak it's- for yourself, David. <laughs> I'm a former drummer. I know. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know where I was coming from with that that heinous accusation. <laughs> I'm just saying. I have no rhythm. I will attest. This to is that, a purely but... surface level one for me. Like honestly, I don't have a ton to say about it because it is just a sonic thing where it's like like everyone has those things where you're like, I just can't listen to that sound, and I wish I could, but I can't, and it just it yeah it gets under my skin like nothing else. Do you have anything that kind of? As I was playing, I turned to you and I said, it just makes me immediately think of the. Was it the cup song? I think it is the cup song. Is Pitch Perfect, cup? right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It just makes me think of that. And kind of like you, I don't mind when there's like a subtle hand clap giving like an extra bit of texture. Um, but when it is a focal point. Your chief rhythm. Like, I mean, it's not just. Not for me. Yeah, not for me. Yeah. Not for me. No. Um, and again, like as you were saying at gigs, like with the clapping along, I am someone who doesn't have great coordination. <laughs> so that actually just makes my palms sweat when I see that <laughs> happening. That, that can't be easy for clapping along. No, I mean, it makes like, the coordination even worse. No, I'm just, the, <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not saying don't applaud anybody. You know, don't I like, you know, I'll you know, I'll do like a fucking you know, every now and then, but like, nah. Nah man. Adam's giving me a look right now. <laughs> not at all. I like I feel very placid in this top five. I just don't mind them. <laughs> um, Adam's gonna hate us by the No, God, not at all. Like I said, like, I'm, I'm pick sure a production technique. I have my own. <laughs> but it, 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 Dave I, I have I do have a question. Sure. If it was like if, if it was like a, a clap kind of thing in in place of a snare drum. Well, that's kind of what that is. It to kind a degree of. but I, I as in like in a more kind of conventional rhythm as opposed to like a lot of polyrhythms doing the same thing. It depends on the context. I mean, if you're at like some kind of acoustic gig and someone was just kind of kicking a bass drum and then clapping with their hands, maybe it could work. But like, nah, yeah, it's it's the insistence of it. It's the the speed of it, the pacing, the constancy of it. I just like, I'm like, I've heard that song before and I like it. I think it is a great song, but sometimes I can't get past the clapping. Mm. Can't get past the clapping, And it'll be all you hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. It overshadows her. It yeah, over- yeah. Like, that can yeah. be a problem. Yeah. Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And which is annoying because I do like Rosalia, but I there's a lot of clapping. <laughs> a lot of clapping, Jerry. <laughs> anyway, so that's me. That's my number five. Um, Short and sweet. Okay, my number four is another trend in music that really came to the fore in the last couple of years um, and I feel has gotten stronger in the last maybe year or two now that we can go to these things again So that was Judy Jackson and Pressure to Party. A song that I actually do really like and I when that came out with her second album Crushing back in maybe like 2018, 
I'm going to say. Um, I really liked that album, thought it was really good, loved her instrumentation, her voice, all that kind of stuff, saw her live twice. Was a huge Julia Jacqueline fan, not so much anymore because of what this song I Feel spawned in the years subsequent to this release. I'm trying to guess what this is. I can kind of figure it out, but not quite. So the pet peeve headline that I've kind of tagged to this is, um, and I'm not saying, I'm not uh, critiquing this in like um, a, a bad way or whatever, but it is songs about social anxiety and specifically the party song. Okay. Um, so that song there, Pressure to Party, it's all about she's had a breakup, she's afraid to go to a party, she doesn't know what to do in like a crowded room. Um, she feels like the trope, I think, as well, of with this style of song is, and it's a repeated image in these kind of songs that just really annoys me because I think it really shows up the lack of imagination in some people's songwriting where they have the classic... I'm in a crowded room, but I feel so alone sure, kind yeah, of thing, yeah, yeah. which, and I know, and I'm not... Um, it's a real feeling. It is yeah. a real feeling, and I'm not criticising or denigrating or degrading anyone who does feel social anxiety. I get quite shy in certain situations. Um, I can, you know, get verbal diarrhoea, like now, uh, when I do get a bit nervous and anxious. What a phrase. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do sometimes feel that in the last couple of years, and since this Julia Jacqueline song there has just been quite a lot of it in like mainstream pop and sometimes I think because of the lack of that person's own experience say um, it makes me sometimes just feel that it's a bit insincere if you get me Um, and I do and like in the past this kind of theme or um, overall idea for songs of like not wanting to be at a party or the kind of the stress that comes with it has been done before. This isn't something that Julia Jacqueline invented. Um, Yola Tango have a song, Autumn Sweater, where like they open up the song with where like, um, is it too late to call this off? We could slip away, wouldn't that be better? Um, And, um, you know, not be in that party to just kind of avoid it. Or else um, Andy Schauf, who is someone who I really, really like a lot as well. In 2016, he literally wrote an album called The Party. Um, And each song is told from the different point of view of someone at that party so with that you're getting more of a developed uh, depiction of this scenario you're getting kind of moments that are happening in different corners in the kitchen in the hallways outside in the garden which for me is just a bit more vivid and a bit more resonating um, and a bit more realistic because it feels a bit more like their own experience and like almost even not to be pretentious but like a short story but sometimes now I just when I see a song in a like a press release or whatever that is like this song is about a party and how someone feels alone in a crowded room I'm like Mm, I've heard this a few times. So, and uh, dare I posit that this particular narrative subgenre peaked with "You'll always find me in the kitchen at parties." See, I think that that again, that I think is a good example of it. Sure, sure. Because like that sounds like a fun party, and like that's like the kitchen is kind of the epicenter that's a lot of the it's time. Really yeah, exactly. Yeah, fair enough. And I do think as well that this um, pet peeve of mine, which I think is 
maybe a bit too niche for this. I think pet peeves, like being niche makes them your pet yeah. peeves, you know, it's um, like, that's important. I kind of as well wonder if this has been slightly accelerated or like amplified by the fact that like obviously with the pandemic we were like locked at home for two years a lot of us were um isolated away from our friends we couldn't have parties we couldn't all be together in big groups in a house um and we have seen now like a lot of musicians and songwriters being like I don't know how to interact with people anymore. And yeah, that is a real thing. Um, It was difficult um, for a lot of people, I think, to come back together into those scenarios. But I just kind of, I I think with a lot of my top five choices, it's just the lack of originality or like of their personality that is being put into the songs and how a lot of these things that are showing up and trying to portray very personal things such as, you know, feeling anxious at a party. Um, they just kind of now feel a bit like trends because they're done so much. So note to any artists listening, Zara Hedeman says, suck it up, move on, bottle up <laughs> that social I, anxiety. I I really Don't mean. write about it. <laughs> Don't use your art to convey those feelings, everybody. <laughs> no, do. Do use your art to convey how you feel. But I just kind of feel like sometimes... You nailed it with the word trend. Like it has a become trend, a bit yeah. of a trend. Uh, and I will say, can I give you a counterpoint though to Go this idea? It. Yes. Five words. Robin, dancing on my own. That was uh, the archetype. <laughs> that actually comes up a bit later. Okay, yeah. interesting. Well, let, let's move on hastily then uh, to my number four. And uh, let's give it a go, shall we? We heard from this lady earlier on, but now we're going to hear from someone that she knows better than we do. Remember when you tried to write me off? Remember when you thought I'd take a loss? Don't you remember you thought that I would need you? Final procedure, remember? Oh, wait, you got amnesia? It was my season for battle wounds, battle scars, body bump, bruised, stabbed in the back, brimstone fire jumping through. Still love my life, I got money and power, and you gotta live with the bad blood now. Cha-ching! It's Kendrick Lamar featuring on a Taylor Swift song. Um, I feel maybe that was a bad choice because what I have here for my number four is paycheck features that mean slash add nothing. It's not a bad... Is it a bad Kendrick feature? That was written in 15 seconds. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. He's done worse, though. The, oh, by a country the mile. The five one is worse. Uh, I think he did one with Imagine Dragons, uh, possibly with Sia as well. Uh, like, you know, it's Kendrick. Kendrick is of a certain standard. Even his features can be not bad. This one's, I guess, not the worst, but let's, again. It's a principle thing, right? This is just marketing, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, it's a principle thing. I just, somewhere along the way, I can't remember when or what did it, but the idea of a featured artist on a song just lost all meaning and specialness and gloss and whatever. It's just like, and again, I'm not saying like don't team up with someone that you like. Yeah, of course, by all means. But I mean, does it like does it really add, or is it just for the press releases, just for mm. a, spe- a single that you can market in a different way? Is it just an easy fucking paycheck for that person? And in the case of you know, just like I'll just get a rapper on this one. You know, it can be it can be very fucking hollow. And I'm not saying, mm. listen, Kendrick. Jay-Z, take the money. Uh, and Jay-Z, of course, is the master of this because he will show up and he'll give you his worst. And, and he'll get paid quite handsomely for it, I assume. But we all know that monster verse. Oh. It is 
the worst it's shit I've so ever heard. Kind of a work of art in its own respects, but I mean, like, yeah, I just tragic comedy, if you will. The, fe- <laughs> the featured artist, like that, the, that is just there to be a featured artist. Like, I just don't, I don't see the point of it anymore. Apart from the cynical business point of it anymore, and I just kind of feel like, I don't know, I, like, I, I wonder if you could do some kind of graph of like ones that actually added substance and mattered versus paycheck. Mm. And I have to imagine that the ratio will be askew quite mm. by, by by quite some distance. It doesn't like keep me up at night, but it just feels like, yeah, like you're doing that because, you know, and it's always the same bullshit, you know, it's like they really like enhanced the song and like it, it, the song wasn't there until they came, like nonsense. Mm. Even like, you know, um, stuff that can be fun on a surface level, like there's a, it's a glass animal song with a Denzel Curry feature, Tokyo oh, yeah. Tokyo Drifting. And it's a fun song. But the Denzel Curry verse, I mean, it's just it comes out of nowhere, right? And it lasts for like less than I think 20 seconds or something, certainly less than 30. And if you told me that these men never met each other ever, I'd believe you. It's just mm-hmm. parachuted in and it's gone and you're like, "Okay, yeah, cool, I suppose, but also means nothing." There's a a really funny Instagram page got us like song songwriter songwriter confessions or something like that. I can't remember the name of it, but basically it's like a swipe through thing. It's like what they say in the room versus what it actually means. It's like let's get a rapper on this, aka I don't want to write a second verse. <laughs> like, I'm bo- I'm bored. I don't want to write a second verse. But like I think from the perspective of someone who like is in the room when songs are being created like that, I think. If a song is being created in the moment with two people together, like what you were saying about, we were talking about duets earlier on, but it's like if you're all there together for that thing, that makes sense to me. Whereas if it's like the song is already there and it might have a second verse, which Bad Blood definitely did beforehand, before Kendrick came along Mm. and was, like you say, parachuted in. What's the point? Like it's like marketing. It's a, it's a to, it's a total rev. It's a revenue stream thing. Hundred percent a revenue stream thing. But also, like you think about something like I mean, at least okay, fine. Taylor Swift, massive global icon. Kendrick Lamar, like he's in for cred, I guess. You know, she likes him. Give him some money. But like, it's worse when it's to try and elevate the other artists by surrounding them with bigger names. Yeah. Mm. Like the most egregious example I can think of is like that song by Jesse J, "Bang Bang," oh, featuring Ariana Grande. Everybody else. Featuring Ariana, <laughs> Ariana Grande and Nicki Minaj. Yeah. And it's like, man, we are trying so hard to break America with Jesse J with this song. It didn't fucking work. I haven't thought about that song in so long. But it's timeless classic, Zara. No, it's going to be. Oh, stop. (laughs) (laughs) That is how it goes. Uh, So, yeah, I just find it when it's so nakedly, soullessly cynical and just there to get streams and get fan bases on board. And, you know, like, like, it's a business. The music industry is a business. We know this kind of stuff. But I feel like it's gotten a lot more cynical, though. The business or just this practice? Both. Probably not more cynical. (laughs) I mean, the music industry has always been very dirty and like motivated by money and stuff like that but I feel like there's just like in this day and age it's just gotten just a bit worse just I, I suppose as well it's kind of a bit more transparent maybe yeah um and especially when it is just such a hard industry to work in because you have to be able to like open out your music for that kind of thing like I'm sure it was 100% 
Taylor Swift was very much in the driving seat for like letting that happen to her music but you can't help but think that like in that room there's going to be a lot of people who are like you need to do this this has to happen for yeah. your music and it just kind of compromises sometimes the integrity I think you can tell I think it's a case of you know like for example like if she couldn't have got Karen Clamar, she would have got someone else yeah it's like who can we get we have a yeah. list of big names let's get the biggest name we can and it'll be you know some kind of bullshit corporate synergy I'm not saying, and please don't get me wrong here, I'm not saying don't collaborate with people. Yeah. I'm not saying don't have featured artists on your tracks. Do. Absolutely do. But try and have some kind of reason to be there. Mm. That's my number four. Yeah, I think as well, just before we move on, like it it seems more egregious at the major label level, like at the top of the top. Um, Especially when it's a label mate. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But like at the same time, I've seen great cases in grassroots, like in I, I I know we kind of mentioned Irish music and stuff like that at the at the top of the thing, but there are great examples um, of collaborations, whether it be like just through songwriting or through you know a contributor on a song that has already existed. Um, it you know in way like Jafaris and Saint Sister, I thought was a really good example of one that they did. Um, uh, a personal connection of mine would be Nilo and Shiv I think that works really well Nilo's verse on Golden as a second version of it worked really really well um, so there are exceptions to the rule I just think that at the top like Zara said it's way more transparent mm-hmm. yeah okay uh, my number three David you joked about the 1975 featuring they do not feature spoilers someone else though um, who we talked about earlier. Somebody else. Somebody else um, has featured um, and it is how their music has completely umbrellaed and made a lot of people pivot from their own style of music. So Adam, please. Lay into her, do it. No, do you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not laying into Phoebe Bridgers. Like, um, there's enough people probably out there as well that will do that. Um, actually, there isn't. She's like so massively popular, and people love her so much. Um, so my number three pet peeve. My can I, he- can I guess? Yeah. Have you actually gone with sad girl music? No. Okay. I have instead gone with the Phoebe Bridgers School of Songwriting. Even better. Yeah. Um, so there's a number of different things that kind of come into this. Um, I am not a, a huge Phoebe Bridges fan at all for a number of reasons. Uh, I guess primarily and immediately it is the vocal style for me. just doesn't do it for me. That kind of like emo inflection. I find that very annoying because it just isn't a very natural way of articulating or like enunciating words. Sometimes I find, um... Secondly, then there is kind of what we were talking about with the voice notes thing where I think that like in her lyricism, there's just like I chose that clip in particular um, with and I know motion sickness is all about like the relationship she had with Ryan Adams and like obviously she did a very good thing with like um, 
talking writing about that experience and like that kind that needs to be like known people like that need to be called out but I think just like some of the kind of details of the and it makes him look like an idiot with the like giving $1,500 to go and see a hypnotherapist um sometimes I just find in a lot of her lyrics elsewhere like on the Boy Genius album as well some of the imagery just really annoys me and maybe it's just a thing where I'm a bit older um, not to be like saying in a patronising way but like a lot of the things that like she likes I don't like um, a lot of things she's inspired by I just have no time for really or just never really kind of got into um, and just that whole kind of like trying to be like really um, I don't even really know that how to describe it, but like trying to be like alt is in my head, but that's not the word, but like just trying to have these like really sarcastic and like kind of funny quips and stuff like that. I just find personally quite annoying. And I do find that sometimes in the more emotionally charged lyrics, there's just too much, I think, there's too much told to me about, again, like the voice notes thing, I'm told how I'm to feel. And I I don't really like that in music. I don't like to be told explicitly that I'm supposed to feel this way about how someone is writing. And I feel that like um, it takes away quite a lot of uh, creativity with language. And I was going through... Um, my like notes that I've done for arena over the last like year um because that would be the space where I'd get to like listen to a lot of like modern like albums that I, I may not necessarily get to like um on my own time and just the amount of times in my notes that I have been like this sounds exactly like a Phoebe Bridgers song or like the instrumentation here is like cut and paste from like Punisher or like this kind of particular style of songwriting is very Phoebe Bridgers or this kind of vocal inflection just sounds like her and it has cropped up in like instances say like with um, Katie J Pearson she released an album last year and I really loved it and it's very like country infused very 70s at times and then there was just one song where there's like this brass outro and I was like oh this just really reminds me of like the better oblivion community center thing like punisher in some places and it's just like even when you think you're listening to an album where they haven't gone down taking that kool-aid they'll always find a way um and I do also think that like from that like 2017 2018 point when she released that was it strange in the Alps album I have noticed that there were artists who were releasing music before the release of that album who were making music that sounds quite different to the music that they're now making, which sounds very like Phoebe Bridgers. And I do kind of just that with that see it as a very cynical kind of shift of people seeing her success uh, seeing how popular it is and how there's so much of an audience and an appetite for it and just wanting to... Um, cash in on that so that's all I'll be said now so you think she's a bad influence on music look if she's influencing people to like pick up a guitar and write songs that's great but I just wish that the people who were doing that said it in their own voice and did it in their own style um because I just kind of think that the peop- a lot of the people who I have been hearing who have been very influenced by her 
don't really progress that sound or add their own stamp to that style of music. And as I said earlier, when we were talking about the Boy Genius thing, she clearly does have a very strong ear for a hook. I won't deny that. Her production style and her instrumentation is very strong. Um, But I just have then kind of noticed how it's becoming quite saturated. I guess lastly, if I may interrogate this further, because uh, I don't mind Phoebe Bridges, but yeah, it can be she can be a bit grating sometimes and I find her Twitter antics to be rather eye-rolling. But uh, is it all down to her? Is she a victim of her own success? Do people look and say, well, she's popular and successful, I'll do that. Like, is that, does the music come second for some people or are some people just so enamoured by what she's doing? I guess it depends on the artist in question, but, you know, can you blame her for having commercial success? No, not at all. And I think that the way that she has gone... The way her she has navigated her career, I again just can't help but just be like quite cynical. Like when I see some of the things that she does, and like um, that she um, not like gets involved, and in, that sounds uh, like a mother speaking about their child getting involved <laughs> with the bad crowd. Like, but I just think that like some of the things she has done have been very. Um, savvy to elevate her success in that like with the Better Oblivion Community uh, collaboration um, with Conor O'Burst um, that would obviously open her out to a different kind of fan base the Boy Genius thing I just thought was and even though I really like the album I still think it's quite a cynical move especially because like if we're re- if I'm really being honest with myself like that album you can tell whose songs are whose. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think they did a very good job at melding their individual styles together to make a full thing. Sometimes they did. Sometimes, like, you can just be like, well, that's a few British song or that's a loose jacket song. So I just kind of felt like the that coming together, I'm just a bit cynical about it. So I don't begrudge her success. I'm just wary of her. Okay. And uh, what she did to Paul Mescal. Yeah, well, that's unforgivable. Unforgivable. No, listen. That's yeah. my main peppy. She will never yeah. be forgiven by this she'll country. Tur- she'll be turned away at passport control. Absolutely. She'll when never Boy Genius come over here to Kilmainham in the summer, I tell you, there'll they, be a two a, a two person supergroup that day because she'll be because <laughs> she'll be because Fever will be turned away by the local authorities. You know, there's gonna be like you know, and, Z- and Zara will be there to protest it with a sign. <laughs> Zara, Down with this sort of thing. Yeah. Zara can just step in and you know do her best Fever Bridges impression. So oh, or 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 one of the many sound alikes that I'm sure are around. So number three for me now. Adam helped me out with this one. I've got a long clip. I've got a bit of a... We, we go from a super group to a super cut because I've got a super cut, everybody. Um, you should be able to figure out what is, what's grinding my gears in this one, but uh, take a listen. ...breakup and run-ins with the law, Justin has finally found his purpose. The new album is his most personal so far. I just said, hey, what am I going through? What am I feeling? And um, basically just poured my heart out of this album and made something real. But this album is just my, my most personal, authentic album, I think, to date. And I just, I just put my heart and soul into it. And I just feel like um, I think the fans are going to really dig it and relate to it. Sonically, I'm just so proud of it. I've heard Camila talk a lot about how this album and the process, more so the process of making this album. I mean, she's talked about how this album is her most personal, most vulnerable. Um, let's talk about the record, though. You said that this one is your most personal album. Yes, yeah, totally. I feel like on this album, whereas, you know, before I've spoken about relationships and partying, which is, like, my favourite thing to do ever, on this one... <laughs> yeah. 
shots um, yeah. on this one. It's kind of like delved more into my kind of mental health and my sort of um, insecurities and my kind of feelings on anxiety and stuff. Now you said that this one um, is the most personal album to date. So what are you talking about in your personal life on this album? I mean, you know, from anywhere from my situation, me being 15 to now, you know, uh, what I've been through my life, uh, relationship problems, you know. Uh... Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, it, it's definitely the most personal record I think I've made. It was... it was, I think it's the most personal album in the fact that I spent a lot of my time in Philly with no producer, just me and the engineer. And um, I kind of was just uh, all alone, just kind of writing songs, writing stuff that I liked. Uh. My new record is called um, Life on a Rock, and it is without a doubt the most um, personal record that I've, I've made in a while, maybe ever. So it's, it's very personal. Man Against Machine might be Garth's most personal album yet. In fact, several times he gets emotional when discussing his songs like Cinema Down the Road. It was tough to get through, too. Really, really tough. And even talking about it, it's tough. I love that song. But the whole end thing that, that makes it all come around is says, you pick them up, you dust them off, you hold them close, and you pray a lot. Yes, of course. Uh, despite it being my number three selection, it is my most personal selection of all time. My most personal yet, it is, of course, people who say that their new project is their most personal work to date. Uh, in that supercut, thank you, Adam, you heard from the likes of Justin Bieber, uh, Jasmine Sullivan, Brandy, Shania Twain. Uh, Chris Brown was in there, I do apologise, but, you know, it fits the theme that I'm coming up with. Harry Styles was in there as well. Charlie XCX, we closed on a beautiful, heartfelt Garth Brooks right there. So, yes, this is when an artist has a new album out and whether it's them or it's in their press release or a journalist says it or a broadcaster, as you heard there in some cases, when they say, it's my most personal album yet. Now, I will say, listen, I need to throw myself under the bus here as well because there's no way that in 12 years of music journalism, I haven't used that phrase whether in a review or maybe even a press release I've written for somebody, I don't know, but like, it's the biggest cliche in the book. And at a certain point, it means nothing. It just, it means nothing at a certain point. And also, I kind of take it as read that your new album is pretty personal to you. 100%. You know? Yeah. It kind of should be, right? I mean, if it's coming from you, if it's coming from your personal experience, They should all be personal. Yeah. Even like, uh, to go with the audio, I've got some, I've got some text here. Britney Spears in 2013. Um, I can't believe this is my eighth studio album and I know I keep telling you that it's my most personal record yet, but it's true and I'm really proud of that. Kelly Clarkson in 2020, this next record, this will probably be the most personal one I've ever released. Uh, Charlie Puth in 2022 says the same Sorry, thing. Charlie Puth. Most personal, yeah. <laughs> it's plastic. Everything he does is plastic. Uh, <laughs> two... <laughs> well, it, it, apparently his most personal album, Charlie, is in fact his most personal album. <laughs> the only thing personal about it is his name. <laughs> and two, two recent headlines. Los Angeles Times headline in March 2023. Lana Del Rey's most personal album yet may just be her best. And the Irish Independent on the 14th of April 2023. Feist returns with her most personal album yet. So, look, like I say, there's not a chance I'm spotless on this, having written for Hot Press and Drowned in Sound and State and doing this podcast and doing radio and 
like I say, writing the occasional press release or whatever, there's not a fucking chance. I've never said it. Mm. It's a crutch. You fall back on it. And in an interview, you know, fine. If you're getting nothing from them, it's always the one to just throw out there because, you know, you're like, talk about you, you know, but it's got to go away. It has to stop. Ellie Goulding released a very average pop album uh, a month or so ago or a few weeks ago, and it's not very good. And she went with the gimmick of, it's my least personal album yet. And yeah. I was like, ah, that's a good little marketing tool. But the album wasn't very good. But like, we can't keep doing this. There's, I've seen artists before and I've genuinely seen it cycle by cycle. And they've been like, this is now, this is my most personal. And it's like, you said that about the fourth album. Mm. You're going to say it about the sixth album. Like, it, we can't keep doing this. It has yeah. to stop. And it, all, it it always kind of feels like, uh, maybe not necessarily with all of the aforementioned artists there, but sometimes I think that artists will say, it's my most personal album to, like, m- not necessarily mask, but to like say that instead of being like, well, on this album, I talk about a specific, very personal um, experience be it say like um, I think of things like if they've struggled with an addiction or if they've gone through um, a very difficult time like grief or um, I know Sam Smith I reviewed their most recent album on Arena and they also said that this is finally the album that I wanted to make this is um, me and all of my kind of whatever flaws and and on and all that that makes me human and I remember like uh Sean Rocks the presenter as we were listening to a song he did the exact same thing where he was just like I would really hope <laughs> that like every album is very personal and Sam Smith in the past has I think um r- written extensively even about like their body dysmorphia yeah, and yeah. all that I would much rather like an artist be like I wrote about the, like just pinpointing exactly what it is instead of just like media training, generic culture. Yeah, it fe- yeah media training. Like if it feels like a footballer in a post match interview sometimes, <laughs> just being like giving you nothing. Yeah, you know, just just falling back on you know just yeah. three points. Me and the lads. We my did a most great important album today. My most personal album to date, or you know, the, like finally able to make. And it's like again, I'm not saying like you can't feel that way mm. about your seventh or eighth album or even your first album. Well, I assume your first album is your most personal album today at that point because it's your only album today. But I mean, I'm not saying, again, like, you know, wary that there could be musicians listening to this program, but like, it's not, it's not like don't put your emotions into something, don't put your life experience into something, don't put your personality and your actual personal experience into something and then don't celebrate it. Hmm. Find it, just find another way because hmm. it's super fucking generic and it's just a crutch and, it, and the more you hear it. As you know, we debated about the length of that clip, but I was like, I, I think it has to could be have long. been longer. Yeah. Could, have been, could longer. have been longer. Yeah, like like and, and again, oh, I put it down. <laughs> like, I put it. I cut that down. Uh, yeah, still two minutes. It's <laughs> like someone's going to do. There's someone doing an interview in the world right now with a journalist, and they are saying, "Well, it's my most personal album yeah. today," and it's like, "Okay, cool." The national. They're probably doing press. Early booth, but it sounds thing. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like have more to say. It's just a bit off putting as well, because I think like as well, something that's recurring in this top five is just like the sincerity from that like the artist is 
giving to their fan base. And it's just like, well, when you say something like that, it doesn't really feel very sincere. Like, it's a bit, it's a bit, well, the songs speak for themselves, you know. It's just like, okay, well, if you're saying that, if the songs speak for themselves, that clearly you don't have anything to say yeah, about the songs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, this is full on, this is full on inside baseball, you know, journalists talking shite here. If, uh, but at the same time, it's true. Like, and it can be true as well with new artists. And I found it, you know, new Irish artists as well. Sometimes you just don't have a lot to say hmm. in that regard. Just tell me about, you know, anything. Like, I mean, tell me about the last film you fucking saw in the cinema. Like, mm. whatever. Don't just, don't just cling to the album. I have the press release. I've heard the album. It's fine. We can, you know, but again, like I say, it's not just the artists. Like I say, there are broadcasters and journalists. And a lot of that kind of came from like, you know. It was like guided by the broadcaster, morning right? Morning kind of talk show America yeah. stuff where they're obviously going to be like, we got a five minute segment. Oh, Harry, it's your most personal album to date, isn't it? Like that kind of stuff. So it's not, it's, it is a both sides thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it is, to quote Donald Trump. Um, Sorry, I'm joking, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Bad man. Anyway, yeah. I just, I just, the more you see that cliche, the less it fucking means. That's my number three. Um, and the more that you hear of this particular style of music, David, I feel the less it means as well. Although um, across the pond, producer extraordinaire Jack Antonoff actually has quite a lot of time for this style of music. So Adam, take it away. Just two things, there, if I may jump in here for a second. One, can I just say your link game has come on so strongly. Has for, it? For someone who has previously publicly freaked out about your link game, that was a great link. Thanks very much. Second, what's the problem with this banger <laughs> from Idols, your favourite band? Uh, a banger that they actually have retired already. They won't play it live anymore. Didn't we review this album together? We did. You weren't a fan. No, I listened back actually to that review. Um, you gave the album six out of ten. Okay. And I gave it two out of ten. <laughs> Ultra mono, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually thought this album came out a lot longer ago than it actually did. During lockdown, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, tw- 2020. 2020. Okay. Um, so they've already retired a song that's only. Um, this is Model Village. Yeah, this is Model Village, um, which is a hugely patronising song about um, just about like working class communities in England Um, and I think Joe Talbot uh, the front man himself uh, did say look um, this actually isn't what we wanted to portray and we are going to retire the song two two two-ish years after recording and releasing it Okay, I I thought it was their kind of serrated version of Park Life but anyway what have you chosen here for your number, number two my number two is Shouty Lad Bands, or as I like to call it, Sprexa Bad. <laughs> Stop the podcast. We're not, it's not going to get any better from here. Yeah, yeah. Wrap it up. Um, Shouty Lad Bands. Uh, how long is this list? Jesus. Uh, well, I actually had cut four clips actually in total for this last night that I was going to I was only going to send one across to you Adam but it was just it's such a bountiful um, fertile scene at the moment and as I said there at the top Jack Antonoff um, 
producer just absolutely ripping it up in the music. every album he touches in my he opinion. Was, uh, he was asked about this or he brought it up in um, an interview he did and um, it was about how, you know, British music is perceived internationally and he said, there's a thing I love happening in, in the UK right now, explained US super producer and bleacher songwriter Jack Antonoff super to producer. Relix last year. Rick Rubin found dead in a ditch like after Rick Rubin, that. Rick Rubin doing Kesha's new album. Interesting. Yeah. I think that will be an interesting one. Good for her. Her anyway. most personal work yet. Um, <laughs> Probably will be. Probably yeah. will be, oh, actually, yeah. yeah. Antonoff con- uh, continued, he says, which has the sort of Lou Reed-esque spoken word verses with super melodic ch- choruses that all these bands are doing. It's coming hard, and that's not something you would have expected X amount of years ago. So he's talking about, you know, like this Brexican, um post-punk scene which of course includes Idols uh, Fontaine's DC of our own uh, Murder murder Capital to a certain extent Yard Act Sleaford Mods Fat White Family Um, those are the bands primarily that I just don't really like who are doing it Um, there is an example say Dry Cleaning Florence Shaw she also does that kind of spoken word Sinead O'Brien as well Sinead O'Brien yeah um but Florence Shaw, I quite like doing it because she has such a commanding and engaging timbre to her voice, which I really like. And her lyrics, I, I find, are quite funny. Um, whereas I find with a lot of these lads, say Idols, Fontaine's, Sleaford Mods, Yard Act, I think with the style of music that they're trying to do. They're trying to be very like politically motivated um, and to use it as a platform to like um, criticise like British uh, governments and the Conservative Party and the right wing, which I am not saying is a bad thing at all. I think that's great that, you know, people are motivated by writing again about the government and singing about it and if that gets people interested or in any way kind of inspired to then get involved in it that's great I'm not criticising that but in the lyrics then when you actually listen to what their stance is it's all very vapid and they're not really saying much like say in Sleeper Bod's most recent album UK Grim which is just god awful that um, lead single was one of the worst songs of recent memory that Joe Talbot is on right no of Idols he's on that song isn't he no they I, hate each other no hang on surely I have this correct because I remember I think it was Tapley messaged me and he was like that new Idol song is terrible and it was a Sleaford Mod song that no I think to. he was just trying to say that they all sound the same Okay, he's not you no know, Joe Talbot's definitely not on this because the and one of the I'm looking this up. One of the initial clips. Um geez, I'm actually kind of stressed now. I don't think it's you okay. you keep going. Um because there's a song on UK Graham, the Sleeper Mods album from this year, where Jason Williamson says it's on a song called D I Y, but W H Y And the song <laughs> has like a line Ugh. where it's just like something about like Oh, you're just a twat. You're just like in another shouty lad band. I was just like... Lauren Shaw is on that album? She is. So is Perry Farrell of Jane's Addiction. Have you not heard that song? No. Oh, David. (laughs) I don't want to. It's terrible. Um, But what I have always, what I really can't stand um, their, their music... Um, and like as well, I had two different Fontaines clips that I could have used, but I actually just thought that that Idols one 
kind of uh, categorized it's shoutier, it. Right? It's a bit shoutier, and yeah. he also kind of uh, speaks a little bit at the end and tries to do that really as Jack Antonoff was uh, noting that melodic uh, supercharge in the chorus. Um, but what I've really found quite interesting is the reviews that will come along about these albums and in particular um, The Quietest um, they published two excellent reviews really well written really well researched and just very considered they weren't just like takedowns for the sake and it was of that um, Ultra Mono album which was written by J.R. Moores which is really great um, but then this year, no last year was Yard Act wasn't it? Well, no, that was yeah. It was last January because it was yes. It was the, it was the first album that we reviewed on January of twenty twenty two. Yes. And speaking of, funny that you should mention all of this because well, first of all, I apparently I was wrong about the idols thing. I don't know how I thought that. Second of all, I, I did ask a few people, kind of like both on Twitter and kind of in my WhatsApp, being like, "What are your pet hates?" At least one person did say to me the other day. Thought of another one. Shouty put on saying nothing British blokes like Yard Act who are playing this week. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. It's something in the air, Zara. Um, so in Fergal Kinney's review of the Yard Act album, which is a review on The Quietest that I highly, highly recommend people to just go and, and read just for just a bit of context with Sprexy Gang and like the not necessarily the history of it but why it's used and how like the resurgence of it in the last kind of 10 years why it's kind of picked up again with British acts in particular um, not obviously including Fontaine's and Murder Capital in that um, but you know it's an, it was a combination of like new conservative government austerity and you know Brexit as well which really incited it um, and Kenny said like as a performance technique Brexit Gang provided bands with a powerful vehicle a formal solution to the problem caused by the vocabulary of politics feeling jarring when sung Sprexian counteracts the earnestness implicit in melody shrinking the distance between vocalist and listener which I think with say dry cleaning I think works really well because I do feel that when I listen to those songs I do feel like I'm in a room with Florence Shaw yeah I can get that um, whereas with fucking Joe Talbot shouting at me there I'm like fuck off mate he's like, in the next uh, house screaming yeah, through the wall yeah. I'm, yeah. Just, I'm like shut up and then even when I hear some of like um, Green Chatton's lyrics I was revisiting them again last night and just like some of the things he says I'm just like that's just not true like I know that this is just not an experience you've had because one you were so young when you got so famous um, so certain things just like did not feel to apply and whether he's singing in a character good for him um, but I want to bring up Yard Act because this was something that also Joe Talbot said in an interview which I just think is kind of interesting going off that message that you read out there where um, the singer of Yardak, James Smith, um, he noted, so he's been in bands for years. He was in a band called Post-War Glamour Girls in the 2010s. Not a bad name, but... Uh, a pretty good name, actually, yeah. A bunch of lads can't be having that now, <laughs> you know. But he then said in an interview... About 10 years ago, we were doing post-punk when it wasn't popular, Smith told Louder Than War. And maybe we saw a bit of a gateway out when Idols opened the floodgates with Shame and Fontaine's DC, the other big ones that came through. We kind of knew there was a scene for it again and probably thought, well, we can fucking do that, even though we knew it's that's not what we are. 
Um, so he was just like, yeah, we just kind of Trojan horsed it and we were like, we could do this. Like, why not? And Joe Talbot said a very similar thing where the, like idols were formed 10 years before they even released their first album. And they, he was also like, we saw how successful this is. And we were like, fuck it. Like, let's give it a try. Like, well, in closing on this one, very interesting pick, by the way. Um, lots in there. I have a couple of things to say. One, the most recent Shame album, actually very good. The first two Idols albums, actually very good. And Danny and Delco is a fucking incredible song. And finally, Zara, just something you mentioned there. Take it from me and the Twitter backlash I incurred. Never, ever hypothesize what Green Chatton did and didn't experience. <laughs> Number two for me is this. So uh, the clip cut off there before Mr. Blobby had time to climax, apparently. (laughs) That is uh, the song, I think it's just called Mr. Blobby. It is. It topped the UK singles chart in 1993 with uh, with Mr. Blobby. Uh, He was a character who originally featured on Noel's House Party, this terrifying, anthropomorphic living nightmare a uh, giant polka dotted freak. And, um, we all know who Mr. Blobby is, don't we? Um, this, uh, what have I picked here for this? Uh, novelty songs. Yeah. Yeah, nov- I knew immediately that that was going to, you'd go novelty songs. Well, I will admit that this was this was kind of my last minute, oh fuck, I'm running out of ideas here. I, I have a few kind of, like, for example, I didn't pick the things I always talk about, like album bloat, because I'm just like, I talk about that to fucking death. And mm. there's definitely something else I'll, 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 I'll recall later on. The novelty song, I mean, like, whether it's a, a cartoon character or a football team or anything, like, are there any good ones? Are there? I ask you. I quite like Snoopy versus the Red Baron, but only because it was used brilliantly at the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, baby. <laughs> what do you, con- like, would you consider then um, the, f- uh, the, f- the ketchup song? Is that a novelty song? 100% novelty song. I love that song. I bought that single. It's absolutely trash. Uh, Cheeky Girls, trash. Um, yeah, yeah, it's all garbage. I mean, like, it, it's just, you talk about cynicism. Garbage and you, don't have novelty songs. Hey, they only have good songs. <laughs> Shirley Manson forever. Um, so here's the thing, right? You talk about cynicism in the music industry, nothing more cynical than the novelty song. It's let's make a quick book. That's all it fucking is. Uh, I understand why it exists. I understand the point of it. I understand the novelty of it. I just hate it. And I just don't think it should be allowed anymore. I think if you release a novelty song, you should do 10 years in prison. Whoa. Mr. Blobby in solitary confinement. Speaking of which, I can imagine Two this. square meals a day. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of that, I can imagine that this song, after hearing it, was used in Guantanamo for torture purposes. I say, I assume he's the fucking torturer. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's disgusting. It's gross, isn't it? It's so horrible. I scum. believe subhuman scum. I, I believe one of the quotes that Zara made during that uh, playback was "Get it off me." <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bobby, no, get it off! Not All right, off me. <laughs> Mr. Bobby's going to haunt those dreams. Uh, the Teletubbies had a song. Uh, like South Park had a song. I mean, uh, it's just the South Park song is. Class. Just because Isaac Hayes was involved doesn't mean it's good, okay? I mean... Adam? Nah. No, I'm side with Dave here, I'm afraid. 
Like, sorry. Maybe like they're used to distract children or something. I know when I was a kid, I thought like Star Trek and Ran the Universe was cool because I was a stupid fucking kid. I guess like the shark song or Baby Shark. Oh, that's disgraceful. I can't stand that yeah, song. Yeah. yeah. I'm actually pretty good at avoiding this kind of stuff generally, but mm. no. I mean, it's just, it's a facet of music that isn't music to me. It's when it co- they overtake and become massive on the radio, I feel. And I feel as well, it's either summertime or fucking Christmas time. And they'll get the Christmas number one. Like Bob Charity the Builder. singles, like a lot of them. Bob the fucking you know? Builder, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and stuff like, you know, Pat Short with like Jumbo Breakfast Roll oh, topping the Irish charts for weeks on it. Or what was your, didn't, did Brendan O'Connor do one as Father Brian? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. What was that one again? He was, was in the, the house. house. Jesus in the house. house. What on earth? I had that in single was actually. Father Brian. Father, it's me, Father Brian. You're, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're a contributor to his radio show. You got to call this guy out next time you're on the air. And oh, lest yeah? we forget the Dustin album. Yeah, oh. is Maniac 2000 a novelty song? I don't no, think so. It's not. It's a banger. Is what it is, mate. <laughs> Let me tell you. But I think that's like a really grey area, though, isn't it? Because it's been like memeified almost. Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah. The new national anthem, etc. Nah, like it's it's short and sweet, like the like the hand claps one. It's novelty songs. I just don't know much to say about it apart from the fact that it is it is oral bleach, and we should all run away from it. You know, mm. oral bleach. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, oral. I think. Yeah, yeah. oral bleach would be a bit worse, perhaps. <laughs> Not good either way. And yeah, Mister Blobby, terrifying. <laughs> yeah, disgusting. How the fuck was that commissioned? Who designed him? <laughs> Should I need to check the song credits? Uh, no, it's probably, pro- it's probably someone from like Prefab Sprout or something, isn't it? <laughs> hey, Prefab Sprout are brilliant. I'm just saying, what my point is, it's probably like a professional musician is somehow involved in this. In the video, he's recreating the video from Shakespeare's Sisters' Stay. I will Stay. absolutely not be watching that music video. After, you gotta see it. No, you gotta, you gotta I see it. There's listen. also a children's choir in there, which a lot of people kind of replied on Twitter as like a pet peeve. I don't mind the children's choir too much if it's, if it's used correctly. Like, for example, a film I know you you watched recently and only gave it three out of five what's going on over there the lost boys that amazing uh cry little sister with that incredible children's choir what's your beef with the lost boys uh, i was also really tired watching it but it's just a little bit of a mess oh yeah is it a comedy is it a horror it's both yeah the granddad's <laughs> closing line though is one thing i never kiss. one thing i never liked about santa clara carla whatever they call it all those damned vampires. Yeah. All right, that's my number two novelty songs. They suck. What's your number one? Okay, much like the uh, Mr. Blobby reaction there of get this off right now, I have the same reaction once a year for a full month when it comes to the season of... And you can tell everybody this is a song It may be quite simple but now that it's done I hope you don't mind I hope you don't mind That I put down in words How wonderful life is Now you're Yeah, so the specific time of year, of course, is John Lewis Christmas ads oh, And course. the slowed down ballad cover Okay, so what you've picked here is like sad versions of upbeat originals? Yeah. Adam. Hello. Can you play my number one, please?
know, something wonderful has happened on this episode of No Encore. Zara and Hederman and I are in perfect sync. Yeah, We've both harmony. picked the same number one. Nothing to hate about that. <laughs> nice. Ah, very good. Sad covers of mostly upbeat originals. That was a Smells Like Teen Spirit cover, which featured on the opening credits of what movie? It sounds action. Yeah. I, I did off mic say I thought it was... Robert Pattinson's Batman, but no. No. on re- use Nirvana. In uh, that. Uh, yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, upon revisitation, is it Zack Snyder's Justice League? That's a great guess. It's not. It's actually Black Widow, the Marvel movie. Interesting. Oh. Yeah, there you go. And it I won't lie. It's very- terrible, but I kind of like. We've come full circle. I understand the adrenaline charge. It's so funny as well seeing Marvel people being like, "What is this original classic?" And it's like, "Oh no." Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I just jumped in there because I figured it'd be best to combine. Yes, but if you no, can, that if, is... if, if you can please continue. So I specifically went for like the John Lewis Christmas style, but I also was thinking of say like I've noticed it quite a lot in reality TV as well. They're using this in like Love Island. Oh God, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, I was watching an episode of Made in Chelsea the other day, and it's quite prominent in that in the later seasons. You fucking love that show. Yeah, I really do. It's kind of <laughs> it's my comfort watch in a weird way. Um. And uh, yeah, so Ellie Goulding, your song, obviously a cover of Elton John's classic. Was that for a John Lewis ad? Yeah, so this was the ad back in 2010 that kind of kickstarted this era of um, the kind of the sad, slow down, uh, pull at your heartstrings, which I just think is so emotionally manipulative. I hate it. Because... Well, not Ellie Goulding necessarily. I'm just talking about the whole like yeah, no, John. No, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like I've had so many John Lewis ads, Christmas ads that have made me cry, and I'm like, I don't like this. Like I, this is not People how I want count to feel. Down to this fucking thing. It's awful. Yeah, I, I'm sure you got more examples, but I'm going to jump in right now and say one of the ones that I don't like the most is Lily Allen doing "Somewhere Only We Know" by. I Keen. was waiting I was for this almost, to, be, to be name checked. I was waiting for it I to be name checked. I was going to cut that one, but it actually annoys me so much because I love the original. Yeah, good song so by Keen. That's I love the original. Spade, yeah. Yeah. I love the original. I like Lily Allen. I hate the cover. Yeah, I hate so the much. cover. There's also uh, Paloma Faith doing Never Tear Us Apart. <laughs> there was uh, an artist called Slow Moving Millie who did Please, Please Let Me Get What I Want. And she did... One of the also, I think, crucial things with the John Lewis of these songs is, thank you, is the person who is singing the songs as we heard with Ellie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. They'll have like this weird inflection on their... Little baby whispery voice. That, but also like... Uh, add like loads of different kind of weird vocal things that just don't need to be there but also then some of the like pronunciations of words so with the slow moving Millie one for the please please let me get what I want it's just like oh fuck off like it's just so irritating it's so banal or banal uh, bland and I really hate it so much it brings out the worst I think and it makes me hate the songs like is it specifically this, the John Lewis vortex that it bothers you or just the whole concept the whole thing of taking the song and giving the sad the sad version that, of it yeah and again you got a lot of lads on YouTube in their bedrooms and like and again it's that thing of it was once a novelty it did once kind of hit me and I've got an example right now of one of the ones and it's not actually Patient Zero because I have identified Patient Zero and we'll get there. That got you in the feels? Well, th- this was more like, at the, when I heard this one, this is my my second clip now, uh, I remember being like, that is genius. And now I'm like, Dave, what the fuck was wrong with you back in 2007? <laughs> Let's have a listen to this. In the middle of the night My father says what he gonna do with your life Well daddy dear You're still number one Oh girls they wanna have fun oh, It took until the title of the song for Zara to throw her head in her hands That's a musician called Greg Laswell and that's Girls Just Want to Have Fun. And I remember hearing that play, I think, at the end of of an episode of Damages, the (laughs) rubbish legal drama with Glenn Close and Rose Byrne. Not a great show. Wouldn't recommend it. Uh, And I remember being like, that's incredible. Like, that's just so powerful and cool and original. And wow, what a genius thing to do. And I'm like, that's just the worst played out shit ever, isn't it? It's not good. Yeah. But... It isn't Patient Zero, is it? I think I've identified Patient Zero on this. I'm sure there's a precursor to even this, but this is the big one. And again, and I got a bit of a love-hate relationship with this whole thing, but certainly at the time... It seems like you quite love it, David! Certainly at the time in 2001 or so, I was like, well, this is the fucking truth, isn't it? <laughs> Let's have a listen. In my head I want to drown my sorrow No tomorrow No tomorrow it kind of funny I find it kind of sad The dreams in which I'm dying Are the best I've ever had I find it hard to tell you I find it hard to take When people run in circles It's a very, very mad That's a flat cap wearing weirdo Gary Jules there <laughs> With Mad World, his Tears for Fears cover, which of course plays at the end of Donnie Darko. And when I saw that in the Irish Film Institute, uh, it might have been the Irish Film Club back then, I could be wrong, in 2001, I believe, like December or so, I was like, well, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen or experienced in my entire lo- young life. Loved it. 
Uh, you know, again, I don't know if it's aged terribly well. A film I've gone back and forth on in the years since. I saw it in The Lighthouse a few years ago and I kind of was like, oh no, it's not quite the masterpiece I thought it was. Then I watched it again a couple of years later and I was like, no, no, it's still pretty fucking brilliant. But Zara, that cover... Zara recoiled on the couch opposite me and at one stage the word disgusting was thrown out. <laughs> Would you like to elaborate? I just find that really like breathy, like trying to be like Michael Stipe as well. Just very like, oh, just gross. If I, I could just... jump in here, I, I'm not going to lie, for double digits of years in my life I was convinced that was R.E.M. Yeah. It's very Stipe-ian. Convinced yeah. it was Michael Stipe doing yeah. that cover. Like, ab- you, could, I would have died on that hill. Yeah, like, yeah, hundred percent. Like with interrogation, I wouldn't have been able to tell you it was Gary Jewell. Like I would have said Michael Stipe. Yeah, I always remember like uh, when that song came out. Then as a single, and wasn't it like a Christmas number? It was one? Christmas number one. Can it, can anyone name his album? He had an album no. that no one bought. Probably called like Mad World or something. No, like it was called Trading Snake Oil for Wolf Tickets. Shut the fuck up. That's what it's called. Oh my god! Who greenlit that? Don't know. Um, uh, some eager that, studio. They lost their job. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I did the night before I turned thirty uh, was listen to this on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Let it really sink in how mad the world really is. I had like this. Sarah, come out of your room, please. Well, Stop playing the song. <laughs> I, no, I know you find it kind no. of funny and you find it kind of sad. It's okay. No, this is going to be actually even hopefully funnier for you too um, so I had like the week before leading up to me turning 30 I had this like real crisis that I hadn't really had before leading up to it um, where the night before my 30th birthday I went to the chemist I bought a box of hair dye I've never dyed my hair before uh, obviously bought antigen tests for like just naturally sure just I was to have yeah. well and I bought uh, like leg wax strips and I got home I didn't dye my hair because I then watched YouTube videos of people who had dyed their hair using the exact shade and it turned out horribly. So I was like, I'm actually, I can't do that. So what I did was I went straight upstairs to my room, put on Smashing Pumpkins Adore, waxed my legs listening to that album. <laughs> And then I went downstairs and myself and Tapley watched Donnie Darko. And as the film ended, it was like 11.55 or turn midnight. And I was like, that's cool. Watching Donnie Darko as I turned 30. Wow. Just... That was vivid. <laughs> it's one of those memories and nights that I'm just never going to forget. And do you like the movie? Watching the needle drop? I do quite like the movie. I hadn't seen it for years until I watched it maybe like a year or two ago on that night. And forgot just how much I really liked it. Also didn't realise that his therapist is Elaine. Is it Elaine from The Graduate? Uh, I think, yeah. Isn't it's, her name Elaine? Oh God, what's her fucking what's name? What's her real name? It's not I'm Bancroft, is it? No, no, that's uh, Mrs. Robinson. Uh, I know. Oh. Yeah, I'll look it up. Um, But watching the film as an adult turning into, uh, as I will say, I was a girl. What's the Britney Spears thing? Not, uh, not a girl, not a, girl, not yet, a, a woman. woman. Yeah. Um, watching it in that <laughs> kind of context. <laughs> I really liked it. And the music, the thing, it's really annoying. Catherine Ross. Catherine Ross, yeah. The music of Donnie Darko up to that point is incredible. That was the first time I heard Tears for Fears Head Over Heels. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunny Man. Yeah, yeah, that was the first time I heard that song as well when I was like a teenager. Uh, saw that. Under the Milky Way Tonight by the Church. Yeah. 
Some good stuff. Duran Duran Notorious. Yeah, Belter. Great soundtrack. And then fucking Gary Jill comes along and starts pissing Gary him Jules, guys. Plural him, please. <laughs> right. Uh, I feel like we've been talking for probably a very long time. Nope. So an hour and a half. Okay. Slightly more. Oh. Well, uh, that gives me time to add in some of my uh, didn't quite make the top five. Oh. Uh, I thought I thought about guitar solos, not mad on them. I'm not mad on them. They're what? fine. I, they're fine. Like They can be a bit obnoxious. But you love Metallica. Yeah. Well, I'm a walking contradiction. They're not mutually exclusive, Sarah. Tell you. Uh, well, St. Anger is my favorite. No, it's not. Uh, Stanger. <laughs> Stanger. Uh, Stomp and Holler, like kind of Lumineers stuff, like, you know, the whoa, whoa, whoa choruses. Now, I will say I, my, my favorite Coda Line song is All I Want, a song I legitimately like. And that does do the, you know, yeah. whoa. And it's very much like, okay, you know, audience kind of call and response thing. I'm not mad about it. Uh, obviously, something I always talk about along with album bloat that I didn't throw in is the rush reviews and giving things immediate perfect scores. I talk about it every other fucking week. Why include it in the top five? Uh, I've got overly confident lads with guitars who rock up to a pub and destroy the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> That's so specific. I think that would have made it should you have been able to pull a clip for it. I didn't know what I could pull the clip yeah, for. Yeah. So I'll just head down to the former garage this weekend and pull out my phone. Will I when some fucking cunt inevitably Any of those up. like Temple Bar tourist traps like I think is probably mm. the vibe. Yeah. I did um, uh, I did put out on Twitter at HandReadyDave I put out you know the question nice Well on. you know if you want to <laughs> go do that. Some people uh, replied with albums that could very very obviously be improved by shaving two or three songs off. Uh, when it's hard to read the track list on an LP cover, you know, niche. That's my cousin there, Hugh. Shout out to Hugh. Uh, well, uh, ne- oh, here's a good one. Netflix only using whispery people with posh London accents doing covers of mega famous songs that suddenly go all Hans Zimmer in the middle and try to make you feel emotionally engaged in some, uh, I don't know, I can't remember how it sounds. Children's Choir backing vocals. Um, a breakdown where the singer starts talking instead of singing. Oh, God. Yeah. There are at least three exceptions to this rule at most. That was Carlo Malacco, friend of the show. I asked him to list them. He only gave me Belong by R.E.M. three times. But Hugh Carr jumped in with uh, uh, the noting that End of the Road by Boys to Men <laughs> has an unbelievable spoken word segment. <laughs> actually, See what Tafley said to my tweet, did you? Oh, stunning. Fucking Rodney Dangerfield himself. He goes, I tell you what music my pet hates, the sound of the postman. Which actually isn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Don't encourage him. On Twitter, that's Don't hilarious. encourage him. That's hilarious. Because we're dog sitting at the moment oh, and the postman knocked on the door the other morning and the dog went absolutely <laughs> ballistic. How do you feel about this one? People pretending Radiohead still make good albums. It's controversial. Delete. Delete, delete that. As Lars Lars Ulrich's dad would say, delete that. Uh, What else we got here? Uh, While you while you look through your well, can I chime in with my consultation? Songs uh, songs that reference songwriting, and that'll do for now. Yeah. So, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. I I, I think you're going to say what I was going to say next. Okay. Well, Dave consulted me as we often do during. Consult him about everything. During life. (laughs) life coach. We've got a we've got we've got a good good rapport, you know. Um, so I said EPs I can't hack an EP at all surely you've produced EPs before no not one you refuse do you I I think as a debut I think it's so pointless I don't see if you are doing an EP why you wouldn't just do a record as your first thing and just spend a little bit longer on it it just feels like a bit of a cop out to me and also bad album art that like album art that just doesn't What's the worst one? The most recent worst one is the dry cleaning one with fucking oh, pubic stump hair. Oh, work. It's disgusting. Yeah. Pubic hair in soap. I do love the colour of the soap, though. 
Okay. Oh. It's, yeah, you, it, you, it's can, you can love it all you want. It's still horrible. That's interesting about the EPs. Yeah, I don't know. It's just maybe that's just a personal thing, and maybe it's like it could probably be defined more as like EPs as a first release long form. Can you hit me with the big one that you chose, though? The big one I had chose a few. Begins with a K. Uh, hang on, let me go back. I'm looking through my stuff. How many do you have? I I'm go- I'm going through our text. Any thread. any honorable mentions there? Um, yeah, I had a few. Like obviously, like you were saying, albums over like 50 minutes long. But I was like, oh, we, that's talked about quite a lot. Um, I also had, um. Dermot Kennedy's voice I find very annoying. Someone else threw that at me, and they are the his vocal style, which has influenced other kind of lads with yeah. guitars in Ireland. And also, um, uh, uh, Mick Pope suggested limerence, aka like overly the limericification of uh... no, like over like kind of overly attached in terms of the lyrics, where you're, like you're infatuated with someone, and you know they're in, intruding your thoughts, mm. kind of stuff. I, I think it fits into the kind of, but I'm but I'm like, well, I can't vibe with that because I like emo. Mm. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. And then the last one that I had that I was kind of considering but actually was just a bit difficult to get like a broad church of like examples of it was lyrical cliches but specifically the line feet don't fail me now I fucking hate it <laughs> I hate Now I would have loved that. to have heard a super cut of that But you will finish off with uh, your number one I, We're coming into Eurovision time everybody The key change Fucking hate it <laughs> Hate it, hate it. Wish it would like there. I actually looked it up after I said this today. It was like key changes in songs. They're the hammiest, worst things ever. I think like there's only like one or two that work for me. And funny enough, one of them is Westlife Slime Without Wings. Great song, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I'll stand behind that. But like the eighties, nineties, and two thousands were fucking plagued with the key change. <laughs> and now it's just seemed to it seems to have kind of fallen off the radar completely. I don't know why, like there's like videos on it. There's lots of people kind of do deep dives and stuff like that. But basically there's been like the death of the key change and good riddance to bad rubbish in my opinion and good riddance to this episode of No Encore. But uh thanks for that Adam and thanks for all the input. Sonic Architect Adam he is uh certainly not a pet hate. No <laughs> no thanks very much. Pet love. Pet love, yeah. Pet love. That Guys. sounds. Sure is. Uh, Zara Hedeman. Yes. We did it. Oh, we made it. We started off warring with each other and in the end... That we... was before Mike. Oh no, actually we did do it on Mike as well. <laughs> it's just been so long. It has, yeah. The curtain has been drawn back, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, it's been wonderful to have you back on the show. Thank you very much for having me. A and pleasure as always. Welcome back anytime. Thank you. So yeah, that's the show everybody. Uh, next week, something a bit different if all goes according to plan. Say no more for now. Uh, it's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help support the show. Tell people about the show, of course, and give us ratings online, all that kind of stuff. And that's it for this week, everybody. My name is Dave Hanratty. There has been no encore. There will be no encore. I think I did that backwards, but I'm not going to fix it. Goodbye. <laughs>